David, stop playing your harp. Angels, stop choir practice. Everyone quiet. Heaven is absolutely silent. God chuckles and says, do you hear that? They're worshiping me. They're praising my name. Gabriel, bring the book of remembrance and write it down. Take your Bibles and go to Malachi, chapter 3. In Malachi, chapter 3, beginning of verse 16, we read the following. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. They shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts. In that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his son that serveth him. Then shall you return and discern between righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. Malachi is to Nehemiah what Haggai and Zechariah are to Ezra and Zerubbabel. But after the religious revival of Nehemiah chapter 10, the people who have come back from Babylon have sunken back into religious indifference. Their indifference has impacted the entire society and religiously they're guilty of profanity and sacrilege. Morally, they're guilty of sorcery, adultery, perjury, all kinds of things. Socially, they're guilty of being untrue to family responsibilities. Materially, they're robbing God. But there are two groups in Jerusalem at this time. One group, which is the majority, are these indifferent people. They would be what we would call today secularists. The remnant of the people are people who love the Lord. And there's a small group, and that's the group I want us to look at. Keep your fingers in Malachi 3. And travel with me back to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We know the passage well because it's a key to separation. But beginning in verse, well, let's begin beginning in verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with infidels? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, if you stop right there and ask yourself the question, what kind of people is he addressing? Is he addressing atheists and secularists? No, he is their God. And I want you to notice, he is their God. Now look at verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and will be a father unto you. Notice the change of relationship. He is their God through verse 16, but if they'll come out and be separate, he'll be a father unto you, and she'll be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord. Look at chapter 7, verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 
So I want you to understand that amongst God's people, there are two groups, just as there are here in 2 Corinthians. Now go back with me to Malachi chapter 3. When these things are present, when there's worship, as we read here in Malachi, the Bible says that God hearkens. The word hearken is an interesting word. It means to listen intently, to strain to hear. It's like a mother who has a sick baby. At night she strains to make sure she hears everything that baby does. It could also be if you're walking down the hall and you hear a couple of faculty members bragging on you. You stop and you hearken. You want to hear what they have to say about you, right? So when we read that God strains to hear and considers it important enough to write in the book, it tells us how important God considers praise and worship. He hears, praise God, he is so good. Or God is wonderful, praise the Lord, isn't God wonderful? I love him so much, he says, stop heaven, I want to listen. Bring the book. Let me ask you a question. Have you silenced heaven lately? Have you caused God to bring the book of remembrance to write down something special? And then verse 17 gives us something else about this passage. It talks about the jewels. In the Hebrew, the word is segula, which means peculiar treasure. The kings of that day had much wealth. They had peculiar treasures, which was very precious and there personally, and no one was allowed to see that treasure. This is the kind of treasure God has in mind here. Now, please don't misunderstand me. It's possible to go to heaven and not be part of God's segula. It's said of Abraham that he was a friend of God. David was a man after God's own heart. John the Beloved was one whom Jesus loved. These and others who were saved on their way to heaven. But at the same time, they were part of God's peculiar treasure. Exodus 19.5 says, Now therefore, if you obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be, be my peculiar treasure unto me above all people for all the earth is mine. So the word is used more than once. As a Christian, you're just saved. On your way to heaven, or are you part of God's segula? You say, well, we're in Bible college. That makes us part of God's segula. Don't you believe it? It's not what I do. It's what's in my heart that truly makes me part of God's segula. We have people with whom we are friendly, and then we have people that we're friends with, and then we have a segula. We've got a group of people that are very precious to us. Jesus was the same way. He had the multitudes. Then he had the 120 that were in the upper room in Acts 1 and 2. And then he had the 11, the apostles. And then he had Peter, James, and John. So it's in the heart of God to make every one of you and me part of his segula. That's his desire. But it's up to us whether we're prepared and willing to be that. So I want us to look at some of the things God expects of his segula. Number one, they stood in dark days. The majority of the people had seen the miraculous work of God. They just finished building the wall in 52 days. Now you read that 
passage in, in Nehemiah and you can't help but be amazed. I've seen pictures of what it's supposed to have looked like before and the rubble and everything. Just clearing the rubble should have taken 52 days. But God moved in and they, they moved the rubble and built the walls and secured Jerusalem. They'd experienced spiritual revival in chapter 10. But now they'd settled back in the routine. I remember 9-11 that just passed not too long ago. We were in Philadelphia. On both sides of us, we had experienced an attack on, the, uh, on America. The church was packed. As a matter of fact, it's interesting. This happened on Tuesday. On Sunday, we started meetings with the uh, evangelist. The church was packed. The first night in the invitation, there were people that came forward. They just didn't kneel at the altar. I watched the chief of police as he's laying prostrate, crying out to God. Uh, it was an amazing time. Wall Street shut down. Everybody, all of a sudden, became believers in God. But in a couple of weeks, things went back to normal and we forgot. That's exactly what's happening here. It's exactly what's happening. They'd settled back into the routine. It wasn't long before they'd forgotten the wonderful things which the Lord had done for them and the promises that they'd made to him. It's easy to do. The minority, however, could not forget. They had an allegiance that belonged to the Lord and even when the religious rulers had forgotten, they stood firm. God always has a remnant. And today's no different. And let me tell you something. You're part of that remnant. And we're counting on you to lead that remnant to praise God that will stand firm. You can be a Christian, not go to church, I suppose, but you're not going to be part of God's segula. You, you can be a Christian and not stand for God in your place of work, but you're not going to be in God's book of remembrance. You can be a Christian and not pray or read your Bible or just pray in a routine kind of way, but you won't be part of God's inner circle. You can be a Christian and not live a separated life and still have eternal life, but you're not going to be part of God's segula. You can be on your way to heaven and have a rotten attitude, but not be part of God's segula. Second thing they did is they thought on the Lord. Not only did they stand for him, but they thought on him. Let me just say that when we think about thinking about the Lord, there are compromisers that try to say that, well, you don't have to really be fanatical about this thing. And the truth is, I suppose you can read filthy literature and squeak into heaven, but you're not going to be part of God's segula. You can listen to music that's not glorifying to God. You can... Listen to television programs that use the name of God in vain. You can watch, you can be on, on your, on, online, but you can't be part of God's segula. Thoughts found in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. You find yourself going to class, especially seven o'clock class, and say, oh, no, not again. 
I have a seven o'clock class. Matter of fact, my class wanted me to do what I did in class in chapel. And I said, if I do that, Dr. Beale will have a cow. So I didn't do it. Um, But um, do you find yourself that way? One of the easiest places in the world to slide back into that majority and to take this book for granted is Bible college. Because you see it all the time. You read it all the time for assignments. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Will I go to hell if I think about these things, if I have this kind of attitude? No, 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 but you can't be part of this segula. It's kind of like the guy who just got married and they're on their way to Hawaii for a honeymoon. Get to the airport and he gives his bride the ticket. And she says, well, where's your ticket? Well, I'm not going. Wait, 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 wait. you're not going? Well, do I have to go in order to be married? Well, I guess not, but it'd be kind of nice if you'd go along. I don't want to be fanatical about this thing. You go ahead and go and enjoy. Well, yeah, but I want to see these places where these, I've seen them all already. I've been there already. I don't need to see them again. Do I have to go in order to be married? Let me ask you a question. What's wrong with being a good Christian? What's wrong with going all the way with the Lord? What's wrong with turning yourself over to the Lord? Uh, as a pastor, I got tired of people saying, Preacher, what's wrong with? It's, that's the wrong question. It's what's right with it. I want to challenge you. Don't just squeak into heaven. Be part of God's segula here. Three, they, they spoke about the Lord to one another. There is no better theme for Christian conversation than Jesus. To talk about his person, his word, his return, his sweetness. And perhaps one of the reasons we don't talk more about Jesus is we don't know him intimately enough to be able to carry on a conversation that lasts more than 15 seconds. Now you understand, I know some of you can rattle off all kinds of theology. I know that you've got all the packages in why Christ is really God, the deity of Jesus. You know all of that stuff. But it's not about up here. It's about what's going on down here in your heart. That's what makes the difference. That's what makes you part of God's segula. We've got time to talk to each other critically about whatever. Bitterness and grumbling and complaining. But we don't have time to be part of God's segula. Then number four, they made, him, they, they made his treasures theirs. God's treasures are God's people. God's segula makes their best friend, his best friend, your best friends. When pastoring, we had four children. You know, there were times when I had to tell my kids they couldn't be friends with somebody in church. And that was hard to do sometimes. And people didn't understand, but my concern was more for my kids than it were for the people, people in the church. And we just said, you're not going there, you're not going there, you're not going to be that person's friend. You can be friendly to them in church, but you're not going to be their friends. Why? Because we wanted our children to pick God's segula as their friends. 
people who thought on the Lord, people who enjoyed being in church. When our youngest daughter went to the hospital for the very last time, she was having, we didn't know it, she was having rejection. And it was going to be permanent rejection. She was not going to come out of the hospital that time. And we were sitting in the lobby waiting to have her checked in. And she began to cry. I assumed that she was in pain. I knelt down beside her and I said, Tanya, are you hurting? And she said, no. I said, then why are you crying? This was on a Saturday night. And she said, because I'm going to miss church tomorrow. Somebody that's part of God's segula cares more about being in church than about health. They care about being with God's people. And that's the kind of thing that stops heaven and God pays attention. You can be friendly to all, but our inner circle ought to be God's inner circle. And by the way, let me just say to you, and I'm speaking now from the benefit of having pastored for a long time. I was thinking this morning, I guess my pastorate has been through four and a half decades. When I think of it that way, it makes me feel old. But we have become, as fundamentalists, we have become, what's the word? I know, I know the word I want to say. We've become religious sissies. We've become so touchy-feely that everybody's okay. I'm here to tell you everybody's not okay. And just because they go to church doesn't mean they're part of God's segula. And we need to learn to be separated and holy unto God. Our relationship with God needs to be far more important than a relationship to somebody who profanes the name of Christ. God's segula is unique. They're separated. They put all their eggs into one basket, so to speak. The early 90s, I went to Ben Salem, to Pastor Ben Salem Baptist Church. Within a month, I'd gotten invitations to join the Elks, uh, to join a bunch of other civic groups. Truth is, I could have joined the Lions, the Elks, the Eagles, the Elephants, the Tigers, the whole zoo. (laughs) But I decided that I was committed to being a part of God's Segula. I've been Salem Baptist. That's all I had time for. God looks down from heaven and sees a dark, sinful world and shudders. Then he hears someone singing Amazing Grace. Or how great thou art. Jesus is the sweetest name I know. Or a preacher opening the word of God and preaching the Bible. And he says, shh. Listen, choir stop practicing. David stop playing on the harp. Listen, and God hearkens as we praise God. The fifth thing is that they had regular fellowship one with another. It's one of the pillars of the early church in Acts 2.42. That one of them is fellowship. They met for encouragement. They met to help for help to to be able to stand. They wanted to talk to someone who understood. Isn't it great that when you're going through tough times and you go to somebody and you talk to them about it and they say, I know, been there, done that, own the T-shirt. I understand you go, 
wow, I'm not alone. I'm not, I'm not some unique kind of idiot. Somebody understands. And that's why they met together. They talked together. They encouraged each other. Part of the genius of the local church is to encourage one another. Build each other up. They met for teaching and admonition in the things of the Lord. I guess it's possible to be part of fringe Christianity and only go to church a couple times a year. I guess it's possible to do something else on Sunday and on Wednesday and still go to heaven. But mark it down, you can't be part of God's segula. When my wife and I moved down here six years ago, we said, we're going to the Bible Belt. This is great. And then we'd go to, to Sunday school, and there was all kinds of people outside mowing their lawns or doing whatever. And I'm thinking, what's going on? This is the Bible Belt. Well, I've learned that the Bible Belt doesn't mean a whole lot anymore. God looks down from heaven and sees nothing but self-centered men doing his thing and it breaks his heart. Even within Bible-believing Christianity, we are good at going through the motions. We read the Bible, we read the right Bible. We pray, we go to church. But in our heart, we're just going through the motions. and Just kind of doing our thing. And God says, I wish I had some segula. I wish I had some. Now, by the way, let me just say to you that being part of God's segula costs. It costs. It may cost you some friends who don't understand. Yes, even some Bible college friends will say, well, don't get fanatical about this. I mean, after all, you're in Bible college. What more can God ask? Listen carefully. It's where your heart is, not where you pillow your head, that determines whether or not you're part of God's segula. I wonder if we make heaven stop and listen we say, thank God for his goodness, for his mercy. Oh, we sing songs like, how great thou art. And God says, shh, stop. They're praising my name. And he looks down to see the source of the blessing. And he sees a small group of people huddled together. They're strange folk. They go to church twice on Sunday. They come back on Wednesday night. They carry an old black book that doesn't have any pictures in it. They give 10% of their earnings to someone they have never seen. They get on their knees and talk to someone somewhere about everyone, everyone, everywhere. They call it praying. Strange folk. They won't bet on a ball game. They'll not drink alcohol and they won't work on Sunday. They don't go to movie shows. They don't go to bars. They pass out tracts to strange people. They're weird. But God calls them his segula. 
I used to, when I would go and preach for pastors' fellowships, I was the kid preacher. I was just the young guy. And I'd look around, and they were all older guys, and I didn't understand why I'd be asked to come and preach. About eight years ago, we were out in Colorado, and I was asked to go up to Denver to preach to a, a pastor's group. And there was about 25, 30 preachers that had gotten to this restaurant that where we were going to be meeting. And I sat down, and I looked around, and I said, where'd all the old guys go? And I was the oldest one there. And I had my stars, what happened? Brother Spencer is so kind. He loves to remind me that I'm one of the oldest guys on, on campus now. Let me tell you what I've learned after 53 years in ministry. What was so important to me 50 years ago is so unimportant to me today. What is a priority for you today, 10 years from now is not going to be. But one thing will never change if that is, if you're part of God's segula. If you will be one that will cause God to hearken and cause Gabriel to bring the book and write it down, that one, that priority will never change. May God give you a burning desire in your heart of hearts to be part of God's segula. Father, this morning we come before you and we know your heart for you've put it in your Bible. We know you're looking for people that would be part of your segula. People that do not regard human priorities as the most important thing. And Father, I thank you for these young people that are here. And Lord, I pray that you would help them and deliver them from the sin of self-satisfaction. Just kind of kicking into neutral. Father, help them to say, I want to be part of God's segula.